0: Welcome to the Energetics Exchange Podcast, conversations with energy and climate experts. Please note that the information and commentary in this podcast is of a general nature only and does not take into account the objectives, financial situation or needs of any particular individual or business. Listeners should not rely upon the content in this podcast without first seeking advice from a professional. Hello and welcome to the second Energetics Podcast. My name is Andrew Tipping, and I'm the General Manager of Clients and Business Development at Energetics. Today, we're talking with two experts on renewable energy and energy markets, Anita Stadler and Mark Asberg. Anita leads the renewables transaction practice at Energetics and is a leading figure across Australia on corporate PPAs. She has a background in banking, finance and management consulting, and has been instrumental in brokering many of the large PPAs transacted to date in Australia. These include deals for City of Melbourne, City of Adelaide, Sydney Metro Northwest, and also she has a number of deals currently active in the market. Mark is the Energy Markets team leader at Energetics and specializes in helping clients manage their electricity portfolio in terms of price and risk. Mark works across the energetics client base, advising large organizations such as the New South Wales Government, Transurban, Dexus, Optus, and Aldi. He also works on corporate PPAs, having recently supported Transurban and Dexus with their transactions. They both have a number of PPA deals in the market currently uh, and are very active advising clients across uh, all of the energetics um, segments. So both well-placed to comment on current trends in the renewable energy sector and how COVID-19 is impacting the market. So Mark, just set the scene perhaps for us a bit with what you were seeing throughout the course of 2019 uh, in the renewable energy market before we then move on to to COVID-19 specifically.
1: I'll actually start with some headline numbers that i pulled from a report that the clean energy council put together on the renewables industry in in 2020. so we actually had more than 2.2 gigawatts of new large-scale generation added to the grid last year it's across 34 different projects it was a really a, a big year for renewables getting built but what we did see was a slowdown in the amount of projects reaching financial close towards the back end of the year and this adds a lot of uncertainty um, to what we'll see through 2020. Anita, what were the issues you thought were driving that reduction in the amount of projects reaching financial close?
2: I think if you, you go back to, to quarter one 2019, uh, I think the allocation of, of MLF's marginal loss factors to the different projects was probably a real shock to, to, to the industry. I think having uh, your your production sort of effectively cut back by up to kind of 20-odd percent. That's just, if you think about how capital intensive of these projects are, this is a huge loss. So it's therefore not surprising that many projects may have been put on the back burner, but at the same time, some projects even deliberately scaled back their size as well, given um, the, the grit constraints that was experienced in other parts of the, the, the network. Um, so what has happened is that the, the the criteria to secure grid connection from networks as well as EMO has really increased significantly due to to weaknesses in the the network. The cost of, of equipment such as uh, synchronous condensers can have a material impact on the viability of uh, of projects. So what you've really seen is is um, softening on, in, in spot market prices towards the tail end of the year, which uh, is, is obviously just further exacerbated some of the risks to the, the investment community. So if I can sum up in, in short, it's really been marginal loss factors. It's uh, the cost and the time it takes to secure grid connections. And then it is the ever present concern that investors has got in terms of the long-term price trajectories. So, of course, I think if you look at that, even when Naimo reissued MLF factors for the current uh, period, it's interesting that there's been a significant upward adjustment in many of those those uh, factors that was assigned last year. And according to Emo, to just quote them, the reason for the upward adjustments is due to a slowdown in new project development and additional network constraints, both of which have reduced the need for MLF adjustments. So what you've seen really is the market functioning in a way that it's pulling back because of lack of demand for additional capacity in the areas where the projects can get built until further augmentation of the grids.
1: I think that just reiterates the need, and this is a clear push from government at the moment, to upgrade network capacity in, in various areas, because the network in a lot of areas where you get a lot of solar and wind resources is clearly just not equipped to deal with with all these new generators coming in.
2: And now if you're looking at, at what we're seeing now with COVID-19 and the drop in, in demand, that will, will obviously put further pressure on a lot of these projects because if the supply exceeds the demand within the grid, of course that will play through within the adjustments made to, to MLFs again. So it's unfortunately a very dynamic uh, situation which uh, continues to to play out well into 2020.
1: I also think Anita and Andy that it's not just the physical issues, there's also a lot of uncertainty around market prices moving forward. We've seen spot prices on the market falling a lot, partly because of COVID-19, but also a drop in the domestic gas price. And then long-term, you've still got a lot of uncertainty that plagues the market with uh, Liddell Power Station closing here in, in three, four years' time.
2: And we can add, of course, the, the age-old uh, challenge of a uh, lack of clarity around uh, carbon policy and uh, renewable energy uh, investment signals uh, from the government, if, if anything, indicating its uh, willingness to interfere. In in the close down of some of these, these power stations, which obviously makes the renewable energy sector pretty nervous.
0: So it, it sounds like there were some headwinds prior to uh, prior to any other global pandemics um, arriving on the scene. So so what have you seen specifically the impact of, of COVID nineteen? in in the renewables marketplace?
1: I guess in the immediate term and in the short term, we've already seen disruptions in the supply chain for key components, such as solar modules and wind turbines in China, Italy, Spain, Germany. Bloomberg have recently reported that production of PV components in China is since started up again after a few months of hibernation but it's clear that any projects that are currently under construction would be facing delays with possible equipment being brought to site there's also the added risk of international travel restrictions and key technical professionals coming into Australia from their home countries who would have been involved on site and been key in really commissioning those projects.
0: I've certainly seen uh, the, the same as that, what you mentioned there, Mark, where availability of key personnel has been a um, impacting projects that, that I'm aware of, um, even within domestic travel. You've had you know teams from Brisbane or Perth um, not being able to get to different sites and actually do the work that they need to do. So it's not just that international component.
2: Looking at, at existing projects, though, one of the most significant impact, uh, obviously, of COVID-19 has been the reduction in demand for electricity, uh, given the slowdown in economic activity uh, across Australia. So that, on top of what Marcus already mentioned in 2019, where we've seen a softening in, uh, in, in prices, this should be of significant concerns to a lot of uh, the projects that were bold enough to take merchant exposure.
1: I think there's a lot of issues that current projects are having to navigate, which may mean some slight delays, but I don't see a major delay to any of the projects currently under construction.
0: But the development pipeline, um, I would expect would, would would be impacted. You know that that level of uncertainty that we've seen historically in Australia for many years is certainly exacerbated um, by by recent events. you have talked about the the specific short term impact. What about the longer term impacts?
2: Renewable energy in, uh, sector by nature is a is a long term industry, the capital intensity of the sector means that whatever decisions gets made today tends to play out over the longer term. Now, if you look at one of the most significant impacts of COVID has really been the, the fall in the Australian dollar relative to key international currencies, just as COVID uh, started playing out. Now, whilst there may have been some recovery, that this uncertainty that you see in the Australian currency would definitely play through in the cost expectations of uh, developers that's now looking at, at starting to invest in new projects.
1: Yeah, I think building on that, a lot of these projects, 60 to 75% of their total capital costs are exchanged to FX. So you've got both the volatility of the Aussie dollar at the moment, which is another risk that these developers need to manage. uh, But also if we see Australia going into any prolonged recession, um, the weakness will only increase the capital intensity. Of new generating assets in the country. I was reading a report last week from Rysted Energy, who predicted that there wouldn't be a single standalone wind farm that would reach financial close this year. And that's really a result of all these added risks that these investors are looking at having to manage.
2: I mean, if you if you think about it, the impact that we've seen on the cost of renewable energy projects, at a at a Aussie dollar at sub sixty to the to the US, you could probably expect anything in the range of sixteen percent. Upwards, uh, as it will flow through in the cost of of PPAs.
0: And that's probably a good segue, Anita, in, in, into the, the the next topic for discussion. It sounds as though the, the the risks are certainly elevated um, throughout the renewable energy value chain. So I'd expect that PPAs would become even more valuable for a developer in terms of um, providing some certainty, revenue, and cash flow. Um, what's what's happening in the um, in the PPA market at the
1: moment?
2: I mean, for these, these projects to get, get up, uh, PPAs has always been a significant kind of part of the revenue strategy. Um, but if you're looking at at the, as we said, it's capital-intensive projects, the capital structure of these projects are as is significant in determining the long-term kind of cost of, of, of PPAs. In very recent times, the market has benefited from very cheap capital flowing into Australia. And I would say patient long-term investors, uh, particularly pension funds. However, if you are looking at at what's what's happening at the moment with uh, government ad- adjusting the foreign investment kind of thresholds and the review, so the time that it will take to consider foreign investment, as well as the fact that the threshold for screening is now dropped to zero dollars, that means that every single renewable energy project that would like to, to get up, and with the help of a foreign equity, will now be subject to this process. I'm a little bit concerned that this could start driving the, the market towards much more focus of, on local equity and local debt, and that could potentially push up the, the returns required by investors uh, in, in this particular segment. And if that's the case, they, that, that'll probably add at upward pressure on, on PPA prices.
0: You know, you've got, you've got all these projects competing for a, a small pool of, of offtake contracts. You'd expect to see lower prices in, uh, in, in, a, in a rationally functioning market.
1: Yeah, and especially when there's more and more of an importance for these developers to obtain offtakes. The spot market risk is a huge risk for financiers to manage. And they're looking to place that risk or de-risk the projects by enforcing minimum requirements for for off-takes. So you are going to have a lot more competition. But yeah, I also think that you'll continue to see upwards pressure on pricing.
2: And and, and definitely, I think the likelihood of projects getting up with significant merchant exposures probably significantly reduced in the the current credit uh, and economic environment. So PPAs, uh, be it, wholesale market PPAs from retailers, but we know that market's pretty saturated um, and particularly corporate PPAs will be significant uh, key driver for new investment.
0: Yeah, as they have been um, over the last couple of years. And I think that's an interesting topic. So a number of our clients and a lot of corporates across Australia have Entered into a, a PPA in the last three years, um, certainly at the big end of town. Or, you know, what what does these, this change in the market mean to those that have already transacted a PPA? As a secondary question, there, what about if I'm looking to go to market for a PPA as a corporate?
2: I mean, I, I can start off probably saying is that we're expecting that. 2020 is still going to be a relatively strong year for PPAs. Um, But a lot of that has got to do with, with transactions that has been in the making for some time now. Um, so, we, we're expecting some significant announcements still in the first half of, of, of this year to be made on both financial PPAs as well as uh, retail intermediated supply-linked PPAs. So, yes, there's, there's definitely uh, conversations happening at the moment with amongst many customers that's whether they should conclude some of these transactions or they conclude them in the same shape and form as as originally anticipated. But most of the customers that we are working with through this process would appear to be very committed to to, to closing out these 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 deals.
1: For those who have a PPA at the moment. I think it's important that these organizations remember the reasons that they've done this and look look at the contract over the, the entire term of the agreement. It's important that they don't value it based on just how it's performing under current conditions, but over the next 10 years and how it acts as a, a long-term hedge to manage their electricity prices.
2: And I, and I can probably add to that is that, that, I mean, the way that we've always looked at PPAs is that it is a risk management instrument. The markets that we are seeing in at the moment illustrates the uncertainty that we are of the markets very, very well. It's also providing corporates possibly with an opportunity to pause and reflect about the structure of the PPA they're, they're about to enter into—it's—it's um, it's not not done until you've you've signed. There's opportunities to to definitely consider whether you've got the the right model for your particular circumstances, whether it's appropriately sized, whether the contract model is suitable for your risk appetite. Um, but if if you've done your appropriate. Uh, design assessments prior then you should be able to tick all those 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 particular boxes so by all means assess see if there's tactical adjustments to to be made Um, but uh, if you've done it for the right strategic reasons be it for environmental considerations for carbon climate change, it remains as key a long-term drivers ever. If you've done it for uncertainty, uh, managing uncertain long-term electricity prices, we are now facing exactly those same conditions. Uh, and if not further accentuated, because what we're doing is just kicking the ball down the track because of the slowdown in replacing aging coal fired generators you raise a point there on on contract model i don't
0: know we, we were obviously seeing customers looking at supply link ppas and contract for differences as as two alternative strategies do you think that in the current market conditions and with the way things are playing out uh, we now would preference one over the other um, or in certain circumstances one might be a better outcome for for a customer
2: I don't believe that the current circumstances are changing the preference for the one or the other. Original rationale, as Marcus pointed out, for why you're entering into different contract models, those those very same drivers prevail. There's definitely, as, as one is looking at this kind of market, however, you would you would assess whether you put all your eggs in one basket. Do you go and contract 100% across your load with one contract model? If you're wanting to, uh, to mitigate your, your spot market risk exposure, maybe there's alternative models that you would need to to consider. I would definitely go much more if if, uh, instead of going for fixed price kind of models, if it's a supply link PPA, definitely consider whether that is the the best option long term or whether you would like to have some exposure to the market given the volatility that we are seeing. So if
0: if, uh, a large corporate was um, just about to kick off a a transaction process, what what sort of things should they be thinking about, Um, not only for this immediate – COVID nineteen situation, but obviously we're looking at potentially a ten year deal here. What are the things they should be considering?
1: I think that things at the moment are as uncertain as they've ever been and will continue to be so. Some organizations might be thinking, Oh, we'll go to market after after this bubble, after this period, and there's not necessarily a reason to think that things are going to be a whole lot better on the other side. So I wouldn't be necessarily slowing down a process. I would be thinking seriously around around the timing. Yes, not necessarily slowing it down, but around the volumes that you put in. So that's building on that point that Anita had before around putting 100% in or 50%, trying to not put all your eggs in one basket. So really focus on your volumes and then focus on a broader strategy and how does this contract uh, integrate itself with your broader retailing strategy?
2: The one thing I could probably just add to to what uh, Marcus said is pricing models. Consider very carefully the design of your pricing models, be it uh, for supply-linked PPA, in terms of the level of uh, of exposure, you've got to project performance as well as um, market risk versus what portion of your price is potentially fixed. And if it's financial PPA, not all financial PPAs are the same. Of course, there's, there's greater risk sometimes associated with the run of plant. In some cases, there may also be benefits in looking at more structured and shaped kind of hedges that is better aligned with your particular organization's load profile and therefore your risk exposure as far as this, the, the, the electricity markets are concerned. So really think carefully about your options of how you structure your your transaction. There's it's definitely no one size fits all is really what is best for your organization and your risk appetite.
1: The other thing I'll add to that is um, some organisations, if it's purely to meet an environmental target that they're looking at these PPAs, there may be options to just look at a long-term LGC only deal. So rather than taking just the electricity price, you're only looking to buy those renewable energy certificates of these developers in the long term. And that might be a suitable option in the immediate future to meet those those renewable energy targets that you may have set.
2: And I think that's definitely very, very valuable. I think for organizations, if you're looking, uh, if you've got limited electricity market risk exposure, it's a very small percentage of your operating cost. Uh, if you typically can pass it through to your your customers, then the incentive to take on market risk to manage your exposure is probably less for those kind of organizations. So again, a uh, LGC off-tax, by all means, would be, would, would be a, a key consideration for those organizations striving towards net zero emissions. But if you've got electricity market risk exposure, then you're probably still worthwhile looking at, at an energy hedge to complement that.
0: And, and in terms of, um, of LGC pricing, we were seeing prices rapidly reducing um, in the next couple of years. Would this slow down? In the projects getting delivered, and/or the reduction in the electricity price um, potentially meaning that developers needed a, a larger LGC component to their revenue strategy. Do you think LGC prices in, in the short term are gonna are gonna change from their trajectory on a on a, on a downward path?
2: I think that we will definitely, with the, given this, the slowdown in new renewable energy projects uh, being developed, we can probably see that LGCs will maintain their 2020 and 2021 kind of price levels for probably longer than one otherwise would have expected, because it was obviously a very sharp drop-off uh, from 2022, to 2023 onwards. The Our view, though, in the long term is still that the floor price for LGCs will be set by the value of carbon in the the Australian economy, which is obviously very closely tied to the climate change policies of the federal government. And, but if you're looking at where the the accu's are trending at the moment, looking at, at at different kind of supply mix scenarios, we still see value in, in LGCs in the long long term, um, which should give developers some comfort. Um, but opportunities to price LGCs upward from their current levels that's probably limited.
0: And a very dynamic market, both on the, the the renewable side and on the electricity side, as we heard in the last podcast with with Gio and Alistair. Are there some kind of wrap-up comments that you would each like to make in terms of a bit of a summary of what's going on currently and what you expect to see?
2: I think my closing comments would probably be the strategic reasons for considering a corporate PPA in the first place. Those drivers are remaining as strong as ever, managing long-term electricity market risk. Uh, ensuring greater kind of price, uh, budget stability, driving down your carbon footprint as the economy decarbonizes and I believe will continue to decarbonize. Hold that long-term perspective, but make your short-term tactical kind of adjustments in terms of when and how you approach this this particular market. A well-designed corporate PPA still is a very important tool within your overall risk management strategy. Inevitably, the economy will rebound. And the rebound in the economy will be more swiftly than the resurgence in in investment in renewable energy capacity. So when the economy rebounds, I think it's inevitable to to see that we would have higher prices reemerge once more. And given the slowdown in, in investment to replace capacity that inevitably must be replaced, we can expect possibly greater volatility within electricity market prices to to return.
1: The important thing I would say, we're seeing a softening in market prices at the moment, um, or the electricity market prices. And I think it's really important that corporates who who have a PPA are looking at how they properly integrate that into their retail strategy um, to manage the risks associated with that.
0: Uh, thanks, uh, Anita and Mark. Uh, I might just uh, summarise kind of the things we've been discussing in this conversation. It, it sounds as though um, what we're seeing is, you know, the renewables market has been heavily impacted by COVID-19, um, which is compounding um, some of the underlying issues which were surfacing last year. So we're seeing some pretty pretty severe short-term impacts on, on the market, um, a slowdown in projects reaching commercial operation, which is a, combination of physical um, physical problems um, constraints um, to delivery uh, as well as some financial barriers which are, are increasing um, and therefore 2020 is highly uncertain um, and uh, you know exactly how things play out r- remains to be seen um, but, but PPAs as a revenue strategy for generators and as a risk management strategy for corporates are still a, a very important tool. Um, and And very important in helping projects get to financial close because the level of merchant risk that they can now take is reduced um, and from the corporate side, we expect a pretty competitive marketplace for off take contracts um, and uh, you know whilst the prices might not necessarily continue on their downward path um, because we 've got now increasing project costs um it, it's still something that that can deliver benefits. Um, to, to the off taker and it's a it's a sound mechanism for managing risk um, in the longer term but perhaps because of all these um inherent risks in in renewables plus the the short-term risk because of covid19 you need to have even more scrutiny than before um to make sure that you know things like counterparty risk and grid connection risk and the other risks that, that, that sit there are, are, are properly managed and dealt with in your contract and pricing model, um, and then maybe the, the, the final point, which I know you were you were discussing there, Mark, was around the need for a corporate to have a, a holistic approach that includes a, you know a PPA and a, and a retail strategy that, that, that work uh, synergistically so that you get you get the benefits that, that you desired when you went down the path of, of corporate PPAs as, as a tool. So uh, thank you both for your, your time and your insights today. It's been an interesting conversation. Uh, to our listeners, the next episode will be on Wednesday, the 22nd of April. So if you have any follow-up questions or do you like to provide some topic suggestions, then please go to the Energetics Exchange on our website or contact your Energetics account manager. Thank you energetics exchange podcast conversations with energy and climate experts